Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. A family invited a few other families over for dinner. They were fellowshipping and having a great time. And um, it came time to eat. And, um, the you know, the, the mom was kind of in the kitchen a lot that day and um, trying to make sure, like, every, every, every wife, like, they have these expectations. Like, I got to make sure everything's perfect when we have guests over, even if they're family. I'm like, dude, let's just get paper plates out. Gosh. You know, I, I don't even want to give them like, regular cups. I want to give them the pointy cups, you know. <laughs> but I, I know. It's, but the, the, the mom was preparing all this food, and, and they, sit, they sit down to eat, and the, 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 dad, the dad who was hosting and everything looked over at his little, little girl, about five, six years old, and, and, and he says, Honey, why don't you, you pray over dinner tonight, you know? And the little girl goes, I, I don't know how to pray over dinner, Daddy. Like kind of put on the spot, and and he goes, well, just 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 pray what you hear mommy say. And he goes, and the little girl goes, okay, and she bows her head and she goes, oh Lord, why did we invite all these people over? (laughs) Oh oh, uh, I heard another one this morning, but I can't remember the details of it. I'm going to have to save it for this morning. I love the fact that you guys are walking up and telling me jokes now. Um, has something to do with, uh, with the blister. Um, oh, he's, oh, yeah, now I remember. Is A lot of people are like blisters. You know why? Because they show up after the work is done. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. That's just millennials. I'm just joking. That's the one after them. Millennials will show up while you're doing work and then talk about it the whole time and then text and um, post about it. Like, look, we're working. You're like, you haven't worked the whole time. Stop it, Ryan. Stop it. I was raised by a baby boomer. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I feel like I'm in between generations because, like, my, my friends, my friends, uh, they... Uh, their parents are the generation I was born into. Like their their parents were baby boomers. My friends' parents were 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 uh, the children of the baby boomers, and I was born to a baby boomer. So I just I I did not just, like get some of the classmates that I had in high school. I'm like, dude, you could talk to your mom that way, dude. My head would be backwards if I I can't tell. My mom could slap so fast. Like you would like you'd be talking to her. I'm like, I don't think so, mom. You're like. Did my head just make a rotation? Like, and then I would just have a red handprint on my cheek. It's it just like, like, they're like, yeah. Um, I'm like, your mom doesn't smack you? No, no, she's never smacked me in the face. I'm like, <laughs> you need Jesus, man. You, you, you're like, that's part of the reason I met Jesus, because my mom smacked me. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. All right. All right, all right, all right. We're, we're in the middle of a series. We're jumping. Like, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We're in Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, we're, we're in a series called Jesus is Greater. In the last three chapters, 
there's this emphasis. So as we read this chapter to, uh, together, it's going to be on the screen behind me. You're going you're gonna to see a lot of layover. So like when the Bible repeats itself, you need to pay attention. But the, the, the author is emphasizing so hard how powerful salvation is in, in Jesus. And this is a message I truly believe that we need to hear. There is a pandemic in the church, and it's because we don't fully understand how powerfully we are saved through Jesus Christ. And we're not living to the full potential of that salvation. We know all the scriptures, we know what it says, but there's a disconnect between our head and our heart. And, and we can have all the scriptural knowledge, but if it doesn't make the 18-inch journey from our head to our heart, we will live in bondage to a system that Jesus completely dismantled. And that is what he, the author of Hebrews is trying to get across to the church yeah, he's, he's doing a lot of comparison between the Old Testament sacrificial system and, and Jesus and, how, and what Jesus has done. But he's emphasizing how thoroughly, how powerfully salvation saves the person. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1, all the way to verse 28. I told you it's a lot, but we're going to get through it. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room, um, in the no, in the first room were a lampstand, a table, and a sacred lo uh, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. Behind the curtain was the second room, called the most holy place or holy of holies. In the in that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of divine, gold, or of divine glory, whose wings stretched over the, over the uh, Ark's cover. The place of atonement, so the, the ark was the place of atonement when the, the, they would take and sacrifice, they would take and sacrifice animals in the, and once a year, and we're going to get into it, but the, the priest would bring in that blood and sprinkle it on the place of atonement on top of the ark of the covenant. But we cannot explain these things in detail right now, but... When these things were all in place, the priest regularly entered the first room as they performed religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. So the holy place, the most holy place, that you couldn't just go into it. It was, it was sacred. It was, it was saved 
entry once a year, one day a year on Passover for the sins of the people. And, and the priest would have to make a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people committed in ignorance. And, and if you entered it, like this is the crazy part. If you entered it apart, the power, that's where the glory of God resound and he's so holy it would kill you. There is a, there is a time in history and it was actually a, a type of, of a precursor for the church where David, before the, the temple was built, and yet the ark wasn't in the tabernacle, that anyone and everyone could come worship in the presence of God. It was powerful. It's a beautiful little segment in David's reign as king. But for the most part, man, if you carried the ark the wrong way, things went bad. Like God told you to do it a certain way, you better do it a certain way. Because that's where the presence, that's where the law of God. If you touch the ark of the covenant, there was one time it was about to fall off a, a, a cart. And one of David's men reached up to keep it because he, he loved God. He wanted to protect God. He reached up and touched the ark and he fell dead. They weren't doing it the way God wanted so that, but it says as long as, as long as this system, the old covenant, making sacrifices for sin was in place, you couldn't just come into the presence of God. He says in verse 9, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. This is, I, I want us to hear this. For gifts and sacrifices that the priest offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. Read, read, read that again. For the gifts, did, did, it, did, it, did it take away their sin up to that point? Yeah. Didn't cleanse their conscience though. Verse 10, for that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established that would be in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made with human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies for ceremonial impurity. From ceremonial impurity. Verse 14. Just think. <laughs> how much more the blood of Christ. Will purify our consciences. From sinful deeds. So that we can worship the living God. For, the, for by the power of the internal spirit. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins 
they had commended under the first covenant. That would be the law. That would be the do's and don'ts, the, the 500 or the 613 mitzvahs. Like that's, that they, they couldn't make you right. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made the will is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of the law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, the blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it were copies of things in heaven. Had to, um, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far, with far better sacrifices than blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which is only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, oh, come on. Now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Just as each person is destined to die once after that comes judgment, so also Christ offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Now let me catch my breath. Wow. How thoroughly like uh, we, we, we can, can kind of get lost in, in like, hey, just say this prayer, Jesus, forgive me, and, or the cross and, and the resurrection. It's so much deeper. It's so much more pointed how much Jesus saved us, what all Jesus had to go through to bring about salvation. Last week, we, we explored how total and complete the saving power of Jesus is. We're... He, he said in John 3, we aren't just, we're, we're not just like a Christian, like, we, like, oh, I'm a Christian now. No, we are born again. The spirit of the living God, Paul says it this way, he creates us, he, he makes us a new creation. He's not just using hyperbole, he's not just using a figure of speech, he's saying this is the reality of the Christ follower. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is who you are in your spirit. He removes the old and gives you new. 
This week, we're building off of that. The author of Hebrews, he's so pointed to build off this foundation of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. But what plagues us today is something that we fail to walk in. And it's found in verse 9, and it's found in verse 14. And the title of my message today is, It's a Matter of Conscience. Too many Christians today, we walk in condemnation, we walk in guilt, and we walk not in the life that God has for us, not in the full life. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But this is Jesus speaking, but he says, but I have come to give you life and give it to the full and, he, and he's, he's saying this in between a couple IMs. He says, I am the gate and I am the shepherd. And he says that in between those IMs because when we follow our shepherd, Jesus, he leads us to a life free of guilt, free of shame, free of condemnation because that's what he offers in Christ Jesus. That's what he offers. That's all he offers. But yet we get stuck feeling guilty. We get stuck feeling I got to do something for God. I got to make something up. And it's natural because we want to have skin in the game. We want to earn something. Like salvation can't just be free, can it? It is. It's, it's too good to be true, and yet it's true. But yet we feel this need to do something. And when we screw up, when we mess up, when we, when, when we sin, we almost feel this need to go back and say, okay, what can I do to make it up to God? If I, if I mess up thoroughly with Amy, I feel that same, like, i got to make this up to her. <laughs> like, oh, she told me to do something I completely ignored. Was she like, so what? Like, I'm going to do it even better next time. You know, like, it, it, every relationship is like that, though. Is when, when we mess up, we almost feel like I need to make it up, right? But it's not like that with God. And uh, today, I want, I want us to be free from this pandemic, I want us to be free. The author of Hebrews wants us to be free of the guilt of shame and condemnation. Jesus saves us so thoroughly that he doesn't just forgive our sins. He doesn't just make us a new creation. He doesn't just declare us righteous. He cleans and cleanses your conscience to where you don't have to feel a single bit of remorse anymore. My first thought for you is Jesus cleanses our conscience. It's really simple. Jesus cleanses our conscience. Here's the thing, you got to let him. You got you got to let him. Jesus cleanses our conscience. And the next two thoughts, I, I have three thoughts, but the next two are contingent upon this one. This one goes into effect in our life when we realize how thoroughly Jesus saved us. When you realize, when it clicks in your head, in your brain, and your heart starts working together, and you realize how good his grace is, how, how powerful his salvation is, how much he reconciled you. Like we talked about last week, it says that God's given us this, the ministry of reconciliation. That means put into a right category. That means he removed you from this over here, 
the old create the, the the old you and and made you new. He he took you out, and then he made you new. He reconciled, and, and the the category that he put you in is son or daughter of God. That is your identity. But what happens in our walk with God is we still operate in the old system. Verse 9 says, this is an illustration pointing us, pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. They're not able. So you might sin, covet, murder, lie, whatever, and you bring a sacrifice to God under the old, and God forgives you. Correct? Yeah, that's what, because he keeps his word. But then you still feel the guilt of what you've done. You still feel guilty over it, even though you're forgiven of it. That's what the old law did. And, and a lot of Christians live right there. That's the point that they live. We, we bring ourselves to the Lord, and yet we still feel guilty over our past life. But when you realize that when you come before the Lord, not only does he, he, he makes you new, he, he makes you into a new creation, but he, he's already accounted for the sin that you're feeling guilty over. That's another mathematical term. He's accounted for it on the cross. So if Jesus is accounted for it, you don't have to account for it anymore. But we still do. We still do try to account for it. Guys, this is something that I, 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 I wrestled with so much because I'm like, God, I, I still do this. Right? I still feel guilty over things that I've given to the Lord. We're all in this walk together. And, and, and so many Christians wrestle with letting go of guilt over struggles they, are, they, they had if you've given it to Jesus, let go. Rest in your salvation. That's how thoroughly you can, you can rest in his salvation. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that person anymore. So many Christians wrestle with letting go over guilt, over struggles. They are still surrendering to God. Some, some of us are still surrendering this flesh. And it's a day-in, day-out thing. We're still surrendering our flesh to God. So as we surrender our flesh to God, this is what the... The, the enemy puts in our head. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like, you, you, like I, should, I should be further along. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I shouldn't be wrestling with this anymore. You feel that, oh, I can't, I, like, then, then, then you go into the cycle, like, oh, I, I can't believe. Oh, man, I messed up again. And, and then you start beating yourself up with that shame. Or it could just be me. Or you feel like, I'm so unworthy of salvation. God, like, why do you even love me? Like, I, I, like you, I, I believe you, you save me. And then, and then the enemy starts to get us to even question whether we're saved because we wrestle with things. Oh, clearly, I, I must be the only one that wrestles with my flesh. You feel any number of things that go with pity and guilt. You feel, how can God love me? How can God work through me? How can God use me? Right? If you just knew my past, 
Oh, God could never use me. Oh, he's used worse, believe me. That's the point. Jesus loves you so thoroughly and saves you so thoroughly. It doesn't matter what you've done. At the point of salvation, God changes you. What does this do, this this cycle of condemnation? What does this do when, when we aren't letting the Holy Spirit cleanse our conscience and we keep going back to the shame and condemnation and, 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 and stuff? What does it do? It keeps us in a perpetual cycle of guilt and coming, and we keep coming to God as if He's disappointed with us. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know I, I've, like, when, when, when we don't let the Holy Spirit cleanse our conscience, wash us, like, and, and really believe that it's as if we've never done it. That, that's how thoroughly God saves you so thoroughly, it's as if you've never sinned. Because you're a new creation. The new creation that he made you has never sinned. It hasn't because you're a new creation. So, so but, w- but when we go back to that, it keeps us in this constant perpetual cycle of guilt. We, we, we feel like God's disappointed. And then we try to make it up to God. We go back to the very system Jesus dismantled. We don't make a sacrifice. We don't you know, kill sheep, bulls, heifers, goats, lambs. We don't do that anymore, but we make other things. Oh, man, God, I messed up. I I chewed that person out. I cussed that person out. I said this. I watched that. I looked at this. I I thought that. And then suddenly, like, oh, man, I just, I better read twice as many verses tomorrow. I better pray twice as long. And like, dude, do it. But don't do it for that reason. Don't do it because you're feeling guilty. Do it because you want to do it. Like, if you want to spend more time in the Word of God, go for it. But don't do it because you're trying to make it up to God. Oh, I better go listen to a preacher preach to, to, to balance out this. Don't, don't do it for that. Go listen to a preacher preach, but not because of that. Making things up to God is no different than the sacrificial system. It couldn't cleanse your conscience. It couldn't cleanse consciences then, and it won't now. It doesn't. It can't. It's in, it there's this language throughout the New Testament and it says what the law was powerless to do. What was the law powerless to do? Cleanse our conscience. Make us right with God. Make us righteous. All the law could do was forgive your sin up to that point from year to year and never forgave any future sins. It's only to this point. And it was only forgiveness. It didn't make you right. But then Jesus came in and there's this, there's, there's this great word called justification. And it's the act of God by which he gives you faith to believe, by which he forgives your sin, by which he completely makes you righteous before the Father. He literally takes and clothes you in all the right standing that Jesus has before God. And then he takes all your sin and puts it on the cross. That's justification. I once heard it said, just as if I never sinned. To God, when you are a new creation in him, you've never sinned. Never have, never will. Like, what? What is that? That doesn't seem right. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I still sin every now and then. 
We're going to get to that. Listen to me. God's not disappointed with you. The only emotion God has for you is love expressed through Jesus Christ. The only emotion God has for you is love. He's not disappointed. He's not mad. He's not irritated. He's not any of that. Let's let the Holy Spirit cleanse our conscience. All this, all, all these feelings of guilt and shame and all that is, is it really, it's, it's us failing to realize how thoroughly Jesus saved us. How powerful his salvation is. It's not just a prayer we prayed. You are completely different. Have you ever wondered why before you, you, you gave your life to Jesus, when you did something, you didn't feel guilt? Like you, you sinned and you didn't feel guilt? And then suddenly you give your heart to Jesus and you do the same thing and suddenly you're like, ah, ah, this is, it's like a bad taste in my mouth. Like it's, I, I feel awful about it. Why? It's because you're a new creation. Sin is actually, it, it's actually opposed to who you are. Guess what sinners do? Does anyone want to take a gander? Sin. That's their natural state. Sinners sin. So, and they don't, even feel, they don't even care about it. They don't feel bad about it. That's just who they are. That's their identity. Sin or sin. But our identity is in Christ. The Spirit of the living God lives in us. And so when we sin, it's contrary to our identity. It's like trying to put, it would be like me trying to put Peyton's clothes on. It doesn't fit. Because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not that size anymore. That's not who I am. The same is true with Christians that's why the, that's how the Holy Spirit works out of us things that we need to lay down. So what I'm getting at is your own efforts to please God apart from Jesus will not ease your guilt or cleanse your conscience. Let's pray. <laughs> like, wow, that's good news. Where's the hope? The hope is found in verse 14. Let's read it. Just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It's Jesus. It's all on Jesus. This is crazy, but when you... <laughs> But you really just have to let go and accept that it's all Jesus. You want God to cleanse your conscience? Quit trying. Let go. Let Jesus. I know. Let go and let God. That's such a Sunday school acronym. But there's some truth to it. Salvation is a work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so what does that, what does that mean? You're made new. You're born again. You're a new creation. You aren't the same person you were before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are different. Your identity is different. But I, but I, I still wrestle with things. That's proof that you're different before you were a Christian. You didn't wrestle with sin. You just sinned. Didn't even think about it. 
Well, what does that, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? I don't, I, I don't understand. Like, how am I a new creation when I still have some of these tendencies, still, still wrestle with things? Like, but I'm a new, the Bible says I'm a new creation, so I, 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 but I don't get that. You don't have to. That's why it's faith. Proverbs says, in Proverbs 3, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. I know that's simple. Like, oh, that, yep, oh, there it is. I'll never wrestle with that question again. No, but, it, but it's true. It's a process. Like, I just got to trust God. Like, I don't know how God removes cancer. I don't have to. He's God. I don't know how God heals lupus or vertigo. I don't have to. He's God. I don't know how God healed my knee just like two months ago. I don't have to. He's God. We, we have all these things that God healed us of. We testified about it, and it's beautiful. I love it. Can anyone say, this is how it happened, other than God? No! We don't have to understand how God makes us a new creation either. It's the Holy Spirit. He does it. We just got to trust that he does. And then we don't have to, we got to lay down our intellectualism and just walk by faith sometimes. Well, Pastor Ryan, if I'm a new creation, why do I have memories of who I was? Why do I still struggle with sin? That's a great question, guys. I'm glad you asked. Man, I feel like a really smart person came up with that. Who was it? No, I'm Like, gosh. The memories, I think, serve as a purpose to show you how thoroughly God saved you. Man, when I think about... I, I accepted Jesus Christ as, as, as my Lord and Savior at the age of four. And let me tell you, God saved me from a life of adultery alcoholism, drug addiction. He did. He just saved me ahead of time. But I still struggle with sin. Like, I gave my heart to Jesus. I remember, that's my first memory. I was sitting around a table, and my mom led me to the Lord. I was sitting in a high chair. The age of four. But at the same time, I, I still have memories of sinning. I still have memories of my brother. I saw the, the first memory where my brother-in-law introduced pornography to me. And I was 12 years old. I didn't ask for that. He was like, hey, you want to see something cool? I'm like, he's my brother-in-law. I was like, dude, he's awesome. And then it led to years of struggle and addiction and shame and guilt because I didn't know what to do. What I had to do is confess it. But now I can look back and I still have those memories of guilt and shame, but at the same time I have to praise the Lord, God, I'm not who I was. The second answer is Jesus completely removes condemnation. The second thing I want, I want to hit on, Jesus completely removes condemnation. So he cleanses our conscience. He, he completely removes condemnation. And some of us need to hear this. I love this section of scripture. It's Romans chapter 7 through 8-2. But it says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for, 
for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So, so this goes back to that. Like when you know you're doing something wrong, that's proof that the Holy Spirit is working in you because you're like, sinners don't recognize wrong is wrong. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. That's a fun word, inevitable. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Some, we just camp out right there, right? Like, you're like, gosh, are you reading my story? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Praise the Lord. God removes your sin and guilt. It cleanses your conscience. So often we stop at the end of chapter 7, but there was never chapters and verses in the original. You just got to keep reading to get the context. Notice it says, I believe three times in there, it's no longer I who sin. Why? How could he say that honestly? Like, but you're sinning, right? No, he's not. It's sin living in him. The new nature that Christ made you can't sin. Like, well, that doesn't make sense because I still sin sometimes. It can't. If it could sin, then Jesus would have to come back and die again and give you another new nature. The new nature that you are in Christ can't sin. Your flesh, though, this part of you that's aging, that's getting older, it can. Know why I know this is sinful? Because the wages of sin is death. And guess what? This body is dying slowly over time. This sins. But it's not who you are. Your identity is in Christ. So when you sin, that's why it's, you're, you're, confl you're conflicted. But because that's not who you are that's sinning, Satan can't condemn you. But we let him condemn you as if we sinned. But you didn't sin. Paul straight says, you didn't sin. It's sin living in you. So where does this leave us? You're saying, Pastor Ron, I can sin whenever I want? Absolutely not. 
That's absolutely absurd. That's why Paul says it three times in Romans. Shall we continue in, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? He asks this question because he knows that when you understand how thoroughly Jesus saves you, it sounds like you could just do whatever you want because that's how good the gospel is. It's really that good. He removes and cleanses our conscience, but, but he says you can't. Because you're united with Christ and he, and he uses, he goes to the fringes of an example and he says, shall you unite the body of Christ with a prostitute? Absolutely not. And he uses that example to show how absurd it is to continue in sin when you're a new creation in Christ. So we can't continue in sin, but what we can do is when we do sin, we don't have to feel guilt over it because it's not us who sin, it's our flesh. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with Colossians 3, 5 and 10. So put to death the sinful nature. Earthly, put to, put, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. I put a dot, dot, dot because he, he, he kind of lists a bunch of stuff out there. And for our purposes, there's no really, like, it's just the reality is just put to death sin in you. And then he says, put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So where, where, does, this, where does this leave us? So when, if we know we wrestle with sin, if we know where our wrestling is, if you, if you used to be an alcoholic, don't start a life group in a bar. You know what I'm saying? Put, put to death. I know my past. I, I've, I've told you guys. I, I, I felt so much condemnation over pornography. I almost committed suicide. And then I confessed it. And then I started to see what freedom looked like through Jesus Christ. And because of that, doesn't mean like I'm nonchalant. I still have safeguards. Like I have passcodes on my phone because I want to set myself up for success when temptation comes knocking. Because... That's what it looks like to put to death sin. You, you pre-put to death sin. You pre-decide in your head, I'm not going to sin. And I'm going to avoid the areas in my life that allow it to fester. And, and also by pre-deciding, I'm putting on the new nature. So now I have this opportunity to be like Christ, to know Christ, and, and to let him cleanse my conscience. I don't feel guilty over, over the seven years I struggled with pornography. I don't because I'm 34 years old. Seven years is a small portion of that time of my life. I, I don't. Also because the Holy Spirit cleansed me. Now I can talk to people freely about it and say, look what Jesus has done. And you can do the same thing. Let the Holy Spirit cleanse your conscience. Don't let the, let, don't let the enemy condemn you. It's not you. The enemy condemns sin living in you, but he can't condemn you because you are a new creation. Romans 8 starts off with this, there, there, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends with, who shall condemn? No one. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one. Jesus re completely removes all condemnation because he has made you new. We put to death sin living in us. We put on our new nature, and be renewed. This is a process. That's sanctification. It's a process. 
so often, I, I was praying last night, and this thought went through my head, is so often we want the product of freedom without the process of surrender. The walk with Jesus is a process of surrender. We want the product of freedom, but you don't learn freedom. You learn surrender. Learn to love the process. God is making you like Jesus. Put on your new nature and be renewed. It's a process. Jesus so thoroughly saved you that he removes all grounds for condemnation because there is nothing to condemn. You're new, and when sin does happen, it's not the new creation. It's the only part that has not been made new yet. Your flesh hasn't been made new yet. We will get a new body one day, and it will never want to sin again. Praise God. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. I know this is a lot. So I want to, I want to wrap up is Jesus opens up true worship. Jesus opens up true worship. Verse 14 in Hebrews says, Just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our consciences from sinful deeds. What does it say? So that we can worship the living God. Before Jesus came, people might have truly worshipped God. But there was so much lip service in the worship of God before Jesus came. They went through the motions of sacrifice day in and day out. Once a year, they sacrificed thousands, tens of thousands of bulls at Passover, and it was just, they went through motions. And Jesus, in this conversation with the Samaritan woman, she asked, where should we worship, here on this mountain or in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, God's not looking for either of that. He's not looking for people to go through motions. He's looking for true worship. How do we truly worship? Well, we let God cleanse our conscience. We don't say what God wants to hear. So often, that's, I, th- I think we, we live in that spot in our prayer life. We, we say what we think God wants to hear. And God would, true worship to God is saying, God, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through. This is what's on my heart. You know, like, it might not be singing a song. It might not be playing a beautiful guitar. We, we are fortunate that we have true worshipers on this stage that truly, but singing is just one avenue of worship. Worship is just being honest with God and giving who you are to him. Not being ashamed, not, not putting on, a, not putting on a, a front for God. When you pray, are you praying what you think God wants to hear? Or are you praying what's on your heart? Because I can tell you what a father wants to hear. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to know what's going on in you. He, he, I, I can't help my daughter if she doesn't tell me what's going on. The other day, my, my, my son is like chapped around his lips. He has a little bit of rash, but he ate something. It started stinging his lips, and he starts crying. And I'm like, bud, what's going on? He's like, ah, you know, I'm like, what's going on? You, I can't help if I don't know. And I think sometimes that's what we do with God. We just scream, and we cry, and we, we get emotional, and we never truly give God our worship. 
And finally, he stopped crying long enough, and he said, Daddy, my lips are burning so bad. And so I told him to suck it up, just like God. I'm joking. I didn't. I went and got, I went and got some, um, oh, what, what is it? Vaseline. I just put it on there. Took the sting away. It's like, thanks, Daddy. You're back to normal. Let's be honest with God. Let's let God cleanse our conscience. We don't have to feel guilt when we come before the Lord because Jesus was already guilty for us. So you get tempted. All temptation's the same. It's tempt any, anything the enemy's tempting you with is the same as any other temptation. Yeah, it manifests in different ways, but at the end of the day, it's saying, "God, I want control of my life," and I'm and that's what sin is. It's saying, "God, I want to take control back." I want control back. All three of Jesus' temptations were the same thing. Think about it. He laid his life down. He laid everything down. What did he say? I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. The enemy comes in and tempts him to take back control. Hey, eat this bread. Well, the Father didn't tell me to eat that bread. Oh, no, you can do it. And what did Jesus do? He laid down all power and authority to be on earth. So when you get tempted, Jesus knows what he's what, what, what you're going through because it's taking back control instead of surrendering. So you get tempted. Temptation's not a sin. Jesus got tempted. So you, you wrestle with things. It's okay. Let the Holy Spirit cleanse your conscience. Let him remove all condemnation. No more. Don't live there anymore. Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the full. He's made you new. Live there. How do how do how do I how do I do that? What what I find is when I'm wrestling, and I'll just be real, I probably use communion cups more than anyone else here. I, I take communion all the time in this room. I find that when I'm wrestling with the stuff, I like to take communion. And to refocus my mind on what Jesus did what he went through so that I don't have to live in condemnation, so I don't have to live in guilt, so I, don't, so I can rest and truly worship him. So let's stand, and we're going we're gonna to take communion together. And as we, as we take communion, I, I want us to just, just think about some stuff. has thoroughly and completely 100% saved you. No more condemnation. No more guilt. None of that. It's all Jesus. Your salvation is a work all on Jesus. He's justified you before God. He, he is He's made you new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. That's why Paul can say so boldly in his wrestle with, with, with sin. He said, it's, it's no longer I who sin, but sin living in me. And he's like, I hate sin. Well, we should hate sin as a, but because Jesus redeems, 
and he has accounted for our sin. We are made new. We are born again. That's who we are. And what we have here is, is a little wafer cracker styrofoam thing. It's not really styrofoam. It just dissolves like it. But what it represents is, I, I love the fact that there are so many people in here that have been healed by cancer and different permanent diseases that kill. But God, this represents that God doesn't just care about your psyche. He doesn't just care about your emotions. He doesn't just care about your eternal salvation. But here on earth, he cares about you in this body. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. Those are, those are sins that we don't even know we commit. He was bruised for our, our iniquities. Those, those are sins that, that we know we commit. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. And then, and then and that, dude, that would have been more than enough. But then the, he prophesies, and by his stripes we are healed. And then Peter turns around in his epistle to second epistle to the church. He says, by Christ's stripes, we are healed by his stripes. And, and, and maybe you're here today that, that you need a physical healing. Let's just believe that God is going to heal. Maybe you know someone who needs healing in their body. Call their name out as we pray. Jesus, I just thank you that your body heals our body, that you went through a beating, that you got scourged, you, 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 you almost got beaten to death for us so that while we're on earth, we can receive divine health through your spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are a healer. Lord, I thank you for every testimony that you shared this morning of healing, cancer, lupus, vertigo, and every disease that, that was mentioned that I don't even remember. I thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that you do it again. Lord, your body still has the scars. You're, 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 you're still our healer. And we thank you. I thank you for the testimonies that are going to come out of today as we stand on the truth of your word that you are a healer that you took a beating for our healing. And we praise you, Jesus, in the mighty name. Let's, let's take the bread. We read today this statement. Without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But Jesus' blood does so much more than forgive our sin. Jesus' blood sets us free. And if you're here today and you've been walking in condemnation, You've been walking, you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've been letting the enemy dog on you. You've been listening to the condemnation of, of your trespasses. He, you, you've been letting him bring up your past. That's not who you are anymore. And, and, and we just need to, we need to remind ourselves that the blood of Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, from the power of death and the grave. He sets us free from condemnation. He sets us free he sets us free. 
He clears our conscience. No more guilt. He was guilty for you. He took your punishment. Jesus, we just thank you that you set us free. (laughs) That we don't have to feel anything but joy and peace and love because of what you did on the cross. That you saved us so thoroughly and completely that you made us righteous. You took your red blood and washed us white as snow and we can stand before the Father guiltless as sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, your blood removed everything and then clothed us in righteousness. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And Lord, those who are struggling today with condemnation and guilt, and and Lord, that just Lord, I pray that as we take this, Lord, let it be, let it be a step of faith to say, Lord, cleanse me from cleanse my conscience. Let me let go of guilt. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the cup.